This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. If you call yourself an American, then you have to start a revolution in this country after what happened last week at the United States Supreme Court. If you believe in the concept of self-rule, representative democracy, limited government, then you have no choice, at the very least, to be a part of a revolution that is going to be necessary to get this country back. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of waiting for the next election. I'm tired of waiting for a savior. I'm tired of the lamenting. I'm tired of people wallowing in self-pity. And I've been reading and listening to it all week from mainly conservatives. Oh, it's over. Oh, what are we going to do? Well, now we're a socialist country. We'll fight back. And on this Independence Day, I think it's very important to go back to this document that I've told everybody in this audience to read at least once a year, along with the United States Constitution. But the one I'm talking about is the Declaration of Independence. The action of the Second Continental Congress, July 4, 1776, a unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America at the time. And we're going to walk through this. I'm going to tell you why. It's time for a revolution in this country. Yes, pitchforks and torches. Because Washington, D.C. is broken. It cannot be fixed. We cannot change a few senators and congressmen or even the President of the United States and think that that behemoth of a bureaucracy that is now ruling over our lives, we're we're no more than loyal subjects, not even loyal, we're subjects of the federal government. We're being trampled on. You can't fix that. You have to deconstruct it. Here's what, in part, the Declaration of Independence says. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That's us, ladies and gentlemen. That when any any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. That's what I'm talking about. That's the revolution. That's the call for revolution. This document says that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it didn't say in July of 1776. It said whenever. It also says this, because they knew this. All experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed to. And that's what we're talking about right here in 2015. That's all I've been hearing all week. Lamenting. Self-pity. What are we going to do? There's nothing that we can do. The founding fathers realized that was human nature. It also goes on to say that, but when a long train of abuses and usurptations 
Pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. It says here it is your duty to start a revolution and to throw off this government and provide new guards for our future security. It says here he has erected a multitude of new offices. They're talking about the crown, this this federal government. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. You know what comes to mind? The FCC, the FDA, HUD, the National Labor Relations Board, the TSA, the EPA, the IRS, the Department of Education, on and on and on. Swarms of officers to harass our people. And yet we're putting up with it. It says he has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction foreign to our constitution and acknowledged by our laws giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation. That is what the Supreme Court did to us last week. Pretended legislation. The United States Supreme Court acted as a legislature. They do not have that authority. You, This document says that such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. One of the other grievances in this document, it says, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, we didn't ask for Obamacare. And when John Roberts said Obamacare was a tax, he imposed a tax on us without our consent. It also goes on to say, for suspending our own legislature and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. That is what the Supreme Court of the United States did last week. It says here, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies. That is Obama's executive orders on things like immigration. It goes on to say that he has excited domestic insurrections among us. That's what they did by approving gay marriage. That's what this president has done, pitting men against women in this fictitious war on women, pitting blacks against whites, pitting the rich against the poor. It goes on to say, we have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have told this Congress... We have told this president time and time again to stop. And they ignore us. It says here in this document, they too have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. We must therefore acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind 
enemies in war, and peace friends. That's it. The groundwork is already laid. We have our list of, a list of grievances that we have presented them with. We went to the polls in November of 2014 to make a statement to let Washington know we wanted a different way than King Obama was showing us. And it meant nothing. Remember what he said after the election? I have heard you. And then he went right to his pen and his phone and ignored us. And we're going to put up with this? The next time in your state, the federal government comes in and tries to put a church or a bakery or a pizza place out of business because they want to live by their religious conviction. When I talk about pitchforks and torches, you need to get down there, surround that business, and dare the federal government to come in and close it. That's the revolution I'm talking about. It has to start in the states. The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio. Buck Sexton. Not religious Muslims, right? They can dress women as beekeepers. They can not bake cakes for gays. They can say gays are going into the hellfire. Religious Muslims can say whatever they want because they're necessary for the left because of the ethnic politics and the uh, race discussions that go on, as well as as a cudgel against Judeo-Christian culture, Western civilization, and all the rest of it. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Let's go back to a story that's going to be in the news periodically uh, for the next year at least. It's the case out of Baltimore, Maryland. Freddie Gray, you remember him. man who died while in police custody. And as a result, six Baltimore's, six of Baltimore's finest, six Baltimore police officers have been charged with a plethora of uh, violations of criminal statutes in the state of Baltimore, including an up to murder. And it's a case where we have an activist prosecutor, state's attorney, Marilyn Mosby, who I think, Marilyn Mosby's a neophyte. All right, she was about 100 days on the job as an elected state prosecutor when she charged these individuals with, uh, like I said, some very serious charges, including and up to murder. In her brief career as a lawyer, she spent a few years in the Maryland prosecutor's at the uh, the Baltimore prosecutor's office as an assistant DA. She never tried a homicide case. She has no idea what these cases involve. I do. I'm a former homicide investigator. I was a lieutenant in the homicide divisions, which means that I supervise cases. I sat at a council table during trial, helping the prosecutor get to the truth and prosecute those cases. I've had conferences with the district attorney. I've gone over evidence. I've read reports. I know what it takes to secure a homicide conviction beyond a reasonable 
doubt. She doesn't. And at the time, I said she rushed this case. She should have taken her time, which most prosecutors do, especially on a charge of homicide. It's just too critical. And this case can go to crap on you, pardon my expression, in a real hurry if you don't have your ducks in a row. A veteran prosecutor would know that. Now, she claimed she had some parallel investigation going on at the time. The Baltimore uh, Police Department gave her their case on a Friday, and, and, and by that Monday she was issuing a criminal charge saying, well, I had a parallel investigation going on. That's a problem right there. Because first of all, now you have two separate investigations. So you have two separate instances of evidence, of interview statements. That's problematic in and of itself. She should have let the Baltimore Police Department investigate that case, give it to her, and then she could have conducted her own investigation based off of that investigation so she doesn't have two parallel cases collide. And that's what she has right now. Well, let's fast forward to the latest. She appears in Vogue magazine. Tells me everything that I need to know about her. Actually, a lot before this told me everything I needed to know about Marilyn Mosby. But that told me even more. Let's go through this article. June 23rd, written by Heidi Mitchell, Vogue magazine. When Baltimore's young prosecutor Marilyn Mosby filed charges against police officers in the death of Freddie Gray, she leaped onto the national stage as heroin and lightning rod. She's not a hero. Back to the article. It was 21 minutes that would change her life and send ripples of both outrage and relief across the country. On the first day of May, as a battalion of lawyers stood on the steps of Baltimore's War Memorial, State's Attorney Marilyn J. Mosby stepped up to the podium and did what no lead prosecutor in America had done in many turbulent months, bring swift and severe charges against police officers in the death of a black man. Time out for a second. What do you mean swift? We're supposed to take our time with these things. And the reason why no other state's attorney or prosecutor in America had done this is because there wasn't probable cause beyond a reasonable doubt to believe that Officer Darren Wilson in Ferguson, Missouri, the officers in the Eric Garner case in New York, the case of Officer Chris Manny, when he used deadly force on Dontre Hamilton in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, None of those cases met the standard under the rule of law that could be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. That's why no prosecutor up to that time had done that. In the the case in South Carolina, of course, that one looked a little obvious. That one was a little easier. Let's get back to the article here. A stunned cheer rose from the crowd as 35-year-old Mosby made her statement. The six officers involved in the arrest of Freddie Gray, who had died in April from spinal injuries, sustained in custody, would face 28 counts ranging from false imprisonment to second-degree murder. In forceful language, 
Mosby described her department's investigation and how the state's medical examiner had ruled Gray's death a homicide. She acknowledged the unrest in Baltimore, what she's not supposed to do. Coming on the heels of police killings in other cities of Michael Brown, Eric Garner, and Tamir Rice, quote, I heard your calls for justice, no justice, no peace, she said. However, your peace is sincerely needed as I work to deliver justice on behalf of Freddie Gray. You've heard me say this. She's not supposed to be working on behalf of justice for anybody. The process will met out justice. She is supposed to search for the truth. She's not supposed to hear any voices. Justice is blind. She's supposed to have the discipline and the wherewithal, the professionalism and the ethics to block that nonsense out and get to the truth. Back to the article here. Suddenly this young prosecutor who had served barely 100 days in office had become a national figure. She's not a national figure. Quote, I was on CNN and we were all assured that it would be a routine press conference, says Mark Lamont Hill, a political commentator and professor of African-American studies at Morehouse College in Atlanta. Let me stop there. Mark Lamont Hill is a race hustler. I get a kick out of this professor of African-American studies at Morehouse College in Atlanta. I wonder what the curriculum is for that doctorate. Back to the article. Quote from uh, Hill. Instead, Mosby came out swinging for the fences. I was in shock. Her statements gripped the country and broiled in a debate about race and police misconduct and energized those who believed that officers were not being held accountable. He doesn't support that. Show me where officers are not being held accountable. These cop haters just throw out these platitudes. And nobody challenged, well, Mr. Hill, show us the evidence that cops are not being held accountable. Back to the article. Sum up, Director Ava DuVernay tweeted that she wanted to make a documentary about Mosby. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> the U.S. Congressman for Maryland, Elijah Cummings, a central figure in Baltimore's protest, told the cameras, thank God for Marilyn Mosby and her team. Elijah Cummings is thanking Marilyn Mosby because she bailed him out. That do-nothing politician, career politician in the, in the uh, Baltimore area, he spent over a decade in the state legislature in Maryland representing Baltimore. Now he's been representing Baltimore in the Congress for over a decade, and nothing in Baltimore has gotten better. Absolutely nothing under the tenure of Elijah Cummings. We're going to continue this in the next segment. David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. The ultimate goal here is an agenda. It, it is Marxist. It is Leninist. It is anarchist. It is nihilist. It is anti-Christian. It is anti-American. It is anti-constitutional. And so few people recognize this until it's almost too late to do anything. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. 
The Blaze Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. In the last segment, we were talking about State Prosecutor Marilyn Mosby, Baltimore County, Baltimore, Maryland, the case of the Baltimore Six, where she criminally charged six of Baltimore's finest for some serious cases, or charges, I should say, including an up to murder. And I was talking about an article that appeared in Vogue magazine, a fashion magazine. And I thought, I wouldn't even expect this to appear at this point in time in a law review journal because it is a case under prosecution. Most prosecutors that I know, and I've worked with a lot of them, ladies and gentlemen, have the discipline, the wherewithal, and the ethics to not comment outside the court on an ongoing criminal case, but not Ms. Mosby. So getting back to this article here, Vogue magazine. When I met Ms. Mosby 11 days later, it is clear that she hadn't expect, expected such an intensity of response. Quote, I don't think I felt the weight of the case stepping up to the podium, she tells me as we sit down for dinner at her favorite cafe in Baltimore's Harbor East. Oh, how cozy. Of course she didn't feel the magnitude of this case, because the neophyte didn't know what she had. She did not have the wherewithal to call in some veteran prosecutors and say, help me with this. I'm new at this. This is serious. I don't want to screw this up. No, this 35-year-old, barely out of law school, lawyer takes what may go down as one of the bigger cases in U.S. criminal justice history and she's going to go it alone. Quote, I was thinking I'm doing the right thing. That's what I'm here for. We're at a corner table where she can keep her eyes on her security team. Thick set men with earpieces around the clock detail that has been supplied with her since she took office in January. Dressed in a simple pantsuit, sleeveless blouse, not a trace of makeup, Mosby is warm and willing to accept hugs from fellow diners who thank her for giving us justice. What? What happened to the presumption of innocence? These Altimores are presumed innocent until they're convicted, but now all of a sudden justice has been served. Otherwise, she is every inch the prosecutor. Straight-backed, concise, a portrait of self-control. This woman has no self-control. She continues to comment about this case in public, making some unethical statements that are going to come back to haunt her. She has no self-control. So let's take a look at this autopsy report that was released against her wishes, and I know why she wanted a gag order on this thing because the stuff that's that's detailed in this autopsy report, <laughs> it makes her case fall apart like a cheap suit. Here's some aspects of it. The autopsy called it a single high energy injury to his neck and spine. We're talking about Freddie Gray. Freddie Gray. Not the multiple blows and injuries indicative of brutality cases. Bingo! 
The autopsy concluded that he suffered no injuries, suggesting a neck hold or stemming from physical restraint. This is also in the uh, uh, report as well. Uh, The autopsy was completed on April 30th, the day before Mosby announced criminal charges against the officers. How could one day later? You know what that means, ladies and gentlemen? She didn't sit down with a medical examiner after getting this and saying, we need to talk about this. You're making some claims in here, but, you know, I'm a lawyer. I'm not a medical examiner. Tell me what this stuff means. I'm looking at potential charges. Here, what they, Here's what they are. Is your report saying that these can help me prove this? She couldn't have done that in a day. She already had those charges set to go. Autopsy report be damned. But that's how our system of justice works in the United States. So here's some comments about the autopsy report. Lawyers for the officers released a statement saying that they still had not received the report. John Bansaf, a law professor at George Washington University, says that the autopsy indicates Ms. Marilyn Mosby downplayed the medical examiner's finding when she publicly announced charges against the officers. That is unethical. He goes on to say, I think the autopsy report is very, very helpful to the defense in many ways. The report suggests that Gray may have contributed to his own death. That's from this George Washington University law professor. He goes on to say, this is clearly a very, very dangerous thing to do, Banshoff said, said, of the possibility that Gray decided to stand up in the police van. This finding that Gray probably caused harm to himself by standing up, weakens the argument that any cop's conduct was reckless or grossly negligent. This is not something that somebody could reasonably foresee, except for, this editorial comment, except for Marilyn Mosby. Bansaf goes on to say, that's far short of gross negligence, he said. Certainly far, far, far short of a level of recklessness which is required for the major murder, major murder charge against Goodson the driver. <laughs> wow, is she in trouble. If Marilyn Mosby was about justice, here's what she would do at the minimum. She would go in and amend these charges and get rid of all the homicide charges. Any charge that has gross negligence as an element, she ought to go in and ask the court to dismiss them. If she was really in search of justice or the truth, she would do that. Now, there may be some civil torts here. There's no doubt about that. That's between the Gray family and the city of Baltimore and the police department. That's something that they have to pursue. And time will tell on the criminal charges, but I don't see how this thing is. And you know what? Prosecutors know this. An ethical prosecutor knows that if I don't have, if I can't 
prove the elements beyond a reasonable doubt. I'm not even supposed to bring the charges. I shouldn't even bring these up. She lacks the ethical wherewithal to do that at this point. Because she dug herself in so deep, and now she doesn't know how to get out of it. Here's what she'll end up doing. She'll end up taking this thing to trial, a jury will toss it, and then she'll blame the jury. She'll say, hey, I did what I was supposed to do. The jury let him off. So she knows she has an escape hatch, but ladies and gentlemen, that's not ethical. I, I, I'm just in stunned disbelief at the behavior of this woman. Hero? She's an embarrassment. She's an embarrassment to the legal profession. And I think a lot of lawyers understand that. Even the ones that don't want to say anything disparaging about her. I have one more thing to say about this in the next segment. This is David Clark the People's Sheriff on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stu. Chlorine is not historically considered a chemical weapon. Remember that, first No, you use it in your pool. You do. Shut up. You do. You use it in your pool. Mm. How chemical can it be? (laughs) I mean, it's... And we found out it's not even what gives you red eyes when you go and uh, open your eyes underwater. Oh, really? What is it? Pee? What? Pee? Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. When we ended the last segment, I said I wanted to mention one more thing about this Marilyn Mosby character. And this is important for this reason. You know, first of all, obviously, I have a vested interest because I'm a career law enforcement officer. I want to defend the men and women in your community, your finest, who go out and put that uniform on every day, put their best foot forward to secure the personal safety of law-abiding citizens in a very dynamic environment. They have to make split-second decisions. Sometimes those decisions go horribly wrong. Sometimes it's just a best guess. We throw a lot of things into it like our experience, our training, and sometimes it doesn't go according to Hoyle as they like to say, but that doesn't mean that it's criminal. And I'm in a position now to protect your community's finest as they're under siege right now from people not looking for justice or looking for revenge. And I think that's what Marilyn Mosby has on her mind. But here's another instance. Uh, She was also featured in Cosmopolitan magazine, another fashion magazine. And she had this to say, Baltimore City State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby issued a call to action to young people, urging them to take advantage of the spotlight provided by the Freddie Gray case to form a movement to reform the criminal justice system. This is a prosecutor, ladies and gentlemen. She says, quote, as young people, we need to utilize this, mo- this moment and make it into a movement to address some of the structural, socioeconomic, and systematic 
systemic issues that plague our communities all across the country, not just Baltimore, Mosby told Cosmopolitan Magazine in an interview published on Tuesday. That's political activism. She's not searching for justice. That would have been appropriate for Mayor Rawlings Blake to make. She's a pure politician. Back to the article here. Mosby's clarion call comes at the same day that her case against the six Baltimore cops charged in the case suffered an apparent blow. The medical examiner who performed the autopsy on the 25-year-old Gray ruled that the injuries he sustained while in the back of a police van following his April 12th arrest met the legal and medical definition of an accident. There is nothing criminal here. And she misled us at her press conference and probably misled the court in her criminal filing about what that autopsy report really said. She, she cherry-picked a few things to meet her agenda that fit her narrative. And that's what she did. Early on when I was interviewed, some national news sources on this case, I likened it to the Duke Lacrosse case. You may recall that 2007 where an activist state prosecutor, Michael Nifong, charged several Duke lacrosse, Duke University lacrosse students with, among other charges, rape, sexual assault against a black female. It was a frat party. And there's some parallels to that case, and I just want to go through that because when I call for somebody to be disbarred, I don't want it to be based on emotion or hyperbole. I don't do that. But here's from a story, CNN.com. Again, this is 2007. But listen to the parallels here. Raleigh, North Carolina. The prosecutor in the Duke lacrosse team rape case was disbarred Saturday for unethical conduct. And the chairman of the disciplinary committee blamed political ambition for his downfall. Earlier Saturday, the panel of the North Carolina State Bar concluded that Durham County, North Carolina District Attorney Mike Nifong violated more than a dozen ethics rules in prosecuting the case against the now-exonerated players. Quote, this matter has been a fiasco, said Disciplinary Committee Chairman F. Lane Williamson. Quote, it seems that at the root of it is self-deception arising out of self-interest. Quote, we had a prosecutor who was faced with a very unusual situation in which the confluence of his self-interest collided with a very volatile mix of race, sex, and class. The panel determined Nifong withheld key DNA evidence from the players' defense uh, attorneys. North Carolina, attorney, North Carolina's attorney general eventually took over the case and in April this year determined the charges were unfounded and said Nifong would face a state bar disciplinary hearing for dishonesty, fraud, deceit, and misrepresentation. The parallels to what Mosby is doing in Baltimore are profound. I'm, that's my editorial comment. Back to the CNN report. Quote, we are in unanimous agreement that there is no discipline short of disbarment that would be appropriate in this case given the magnitude of the offenses which we have found and the effect upon the profession and the public, Williamson said. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what I'm saying about Marilyn Mosby charging 
these six Baltimore law enforcement officers. This is political activism where we have a state's attorney who is using a powerful institution like a prosecution office as a bludgeon to go after a group of individuals, police officers that she has a bias against. Back to the story here. Williamson said that racially inflammatory remarks remarks Nifong made last year were to further his political ambition. The bar community found Nifong lied to the judge in the rape case about whether he knew of any evidence that would exonerate the defendants. What did I say about uh, the autopsy report saying that this uh, is consistent with an accident? Even though he determined it was a homicide, he says this really isn't that clear. Back to the story. After that lie, in his mind, the facts remained the way, uh, that way in the face of developing evidence that was not, in fact, the case, Williamson said. After a recess in the hearing, Nifong's attorney surprised the panel by saying his client believed he deserved to be disbarred. State Bar Prosecutor Douglas Broker told the committee that Mr. Nifong did not act as a minister of justice, but as a minister of injustice. Wow. Like I said, that's going to go on for quite some time, probably over the next year. I want to end with this, this whole controversy over the Confederate flag surrounding the horrific church shooting. Dylan Foote. Charleston, South Carolina, went into a church as people sat in prayer and basically slaughtered them. And now the Confederate flag is to blame. This is nothing more than a political opportunity by the left. This has nothing to do with the flag. They know that. They always look at these things. You've got to drill down into anything that the left says to see what they're really about. South Carolina was won by the Republicans in the 2012 election, and they want to weaken that. So they want to turn this into a race issue and that symbol of the Confederate flag, the stars and bars, can kind of do that for them. You know, before this horrific incident, nobody was saying anything about the stars and bars being wiped out of the uh, history books or, or taken down from the, uh, the state house in South Carolina. That's for the people of South Carolina to determine. I don't really care. I'm not... I'm not this hypersensitive over you know symbolism like a flag, but I think Governor Haley jumped the gun a little bit. I think she got a little bit out in front of her skis when her emotions were running high and she felt she had to do something. And I think in the end it may backfire a little bit. And let's be honest, she has political ambitions probably to be the number two on the uh, Republican ticket for 2016. And she knows that that baggage could hurt uh, the Republican Party, and they may want nothing to do with it. So I think that has uh, that plays a role here, and I think it's unfortunate. I think this may backfire on her as well because I don't know. Now that the emotion has settled down, I don't know that she's going to get the two-thirds majority in both houses or chambers of the uh, uh, South Carolina State Legislature to uh, remove that plague. But, you know, like I said, that's up to them, and time will tell. That's going to do it for today. Reminder, during the week, you can follow me on Twitter at Sheriff Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E, and also at thepeoplesheriff.com. 
You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network.